No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Get motivated and be inspired by inspiration for today. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart, that your word would be revealed to me today in a way that I would understand it, so that I can speak it and declare it over my life and others, and do it and see it change my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that you're saying a declaration of yourself when you say that that the word is going to be revealed to you in a supernatural way, that you are going to be touched, and that that word is going to give you something that you never had before. And maybe you'll get married. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right. And maybe you'll get married. So that is the awesome thing about the word. And we're continuing with our series. We're actually finishing it this week. True freedom is knowing the dangers of sin are like the dangers of AI. So I thought we'll do something here that is for people that are into technology. AR stands for artificial intelligence. And um, we're going to have a look at that today. And, and uh, I want you just to think about artificial intelligence and how it's actually controlling everything. But just to recap from last week, we spoke about the fact from Romans chapter 7, um, starting from verse 1 to verse 6. And these were the main points that the law... Is, is, is an authority over you as long as you live. So the law is your authority as long as you're alive. And Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The Lord no longer controls you the moment you do that. And then the second point was that to die to sin requires that you die to the law. And the third point was that surrender. Because to die, to die to the law means you're dying to yourself, which means you're surrendering to God. And surrender leads to freedom from the sinful passions that once aroused us. And I want you to remember that God has a purpose for your life. Now Romans chapter 7, we continue with today, verse 7 to 15, which says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin is had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, not said, you shall not covet. But since seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing upon the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what was good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know 
that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I want you to think about those words there. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. How many times have you found yourself doing things you hate? How many times have you found yourself doing things that you despise? Things that you would never ever want to do. And what you have to understand is that the law brings us forth to show that from the time when Adam and Eve sinned, we're in a corrupt state. And our DNA needs to be cleansed, it needs to be revitalized, and needs to be brought back to life. Now I want to show you a little video from a guy that you would not normally expect to have in church. He's a guy who's actually now, they say he's the richest man in the world, Elon Musk. And he's a South African. Amen. So even though he's not really much of a Christian, I wouldn't really call him a Christian, I thought let's listen to what the South African has to say about artificial intelligence. Amen. Let's have a look. In the past it has been bad, but not um, something which represented a, uh, you know, a fundamental risk to the existence of civilization. AI is a fundamental risk to the existence of human civilization. Um, in a way that car accidents, uh, airplane crashes, um, faulty drugs, uh, or bad food were, were not. They were, not, they, they were harmful to, to uh, a set of individuals within society, of course, but they were not harmful to society as a whole. Um, AI is a fundamental existential risk for human civilization. And I don't think people fully appreciate that. Um, and um, I think we should be really concerned about AI, and I think we should... This is, AI is a rare case where I think we need to be proactive in regulation instead of reactive. Um, because I think by the time we are reactive in AI regulation, it's too late. Um, and no, normally the way regulations are set up is that a whole bunch of bad things happen, there's a public outcry, the, the, and then after many years, a regulatory agency is set up to regulate that industry. Um, and there's a bunch of opposition from companies who don't like being told what to do by regulators. Um, anyway, it takes forever. Um, that, that, you know, it's not, it's not fun being regulated. It's not, you know, uh, it can be pretty irksome, but, uh, you know, in the car business, we, you know, we get regulated uh, by Department of Transport, by EPA, and a bunch of others. Um, and, and there's regulatory agencies in every, every country. You know, in, the, in space, the, we get regulated by FAA. Um, and, um, but, but, you know, if you ask the average person, hey, you wanna, do you want to get rid of the FAA um, and just, like, Take a, take a chance on manufacturers not cutting corners on the aircraft because uh, you know profits were down that quarter. Uh, I was like, uh, hell no. Um, um, that sounds terrible. <laughs> so um, you know, I think even people who are pretty you know, extremely like libertarian free market, they'd be like, yeah, we should probably have somebody keeping an eye on the aircraft companies, making sure they build a good aircraft um, and good cars and that kind of thing. So. 
you know, I think there's, there's a role for regulators. Um, that's very important. Um, and I'm against overregulation for sure. Uh, but man, we've, I think we better get on that with AI, Frano. Um, and uh, so, so there'll certainly be a lot of job disruption. Um, because what's going to happen is robots will be able to do everything better than us. I'm, I'm including, I mean, all of us, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what to do about this. <laughs> all right, so I thought I'd get you really excited. All right, I want you to think about what he said there, some statements, artificial intelligence is an existential threat. And robots will take over all of our jobs because they'll do everything that we do better than what we can do it. Now, if you think that artificial intelligence is not affecting you, I just want to actually give you some thoughts about Omicron. I mean, first of all, if you look at Omicron, um, most of the people that I know that are getting it have been jabbed. Yet everyone's going to get the jab to stop it. All right, so I'm just confused about that. And something else that I noticed is our numbers now in the last week have shot up through the roof. But you know, in Europe, they shot up before us, yet they're saying we sent it there. Why do people believe things that don't make sense like this? It's AR. When you go into your social media package, you're being influenced by AR. You're busy posting on Instagram and you're liking things on you're being manipulated by artificial intelligence. I want to tell you right now, why do you think Elon Musk is concerned? I mean, he uses AI. He's, he's building it. He's doing it. He's sending spaceships into, into space using AI. Using artificial intelligence, they, the SpaceX sends spaceships up and then the rockets that help get the thing into space come down and they land perfectly on the, on the landing platform there and how do you think that happens they're using artificial intelligence so he has a guy that's using this stuff and he's warning about this and I want to tell you that AI is an existential threat to people but there's a bigger one it's sin the reason why AI would go wrong is because the people that programmed it were evil and sin is the same as artificial intelligence and it needs to be regulated but if we try to regulate sin with the law, we get to a place where we say what Elon Musk says. He says, I don't know quite what to do about this. I'm not sure if looking at sin and all of these sorts of things, maybe you've ever gotten to a place where you look at this and you say, I'm not quite sure what to do about this. And I want to tell you that there's only one correct regulation for sin, and that is the blood of Jesus. There is nothing else that will work. If you're going to try anything else today, I'm telling you now, you're going to get to the place where Elon Musk is and you're going to end up in a place where you're going to say, I'm not sure what to quite do about this. He spoke about AI as being an existential threat to the future existence of humanity. It's only an existential threat because of sin. And so you have to recognize sin. You have to recognize the problem of sin. Or you can do what many people are doing with AI, where they're pretending like there's no problem. 
And there is a problem. If you listen to some of the discussions that scientists are having about things like artificial intelligence and a concept called consciousness. Some of the stuff's pretty freaky. It's pretty, pretty freaky. And it's the same as sin. People are going on like sin doesn't matter, like sin doesn't bring destruction. But it's pretty freaky. It's pretty, pretty freaky. And many people have been trying to think like the world thinks. And the world says that you can fix the problem of sin by the law. But the law cannot make you right because it actually shows you where you're wrong. So the law is great. Please do not ever be one of those Christians that come and tells me that the law is terrible, that, the, that legalistic this and legalistic that. I will slap, slap that word legalistic right out of your mouth. The law is perfect. The law is wholesome. The law is holy. There's nothing wrong with the law. And we'll see that today. Romans 7 verse 7 to 9 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Because that's how some Christians talk today. They talk like the law is sinful. And Paul says, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Coveting is when you want something that someone else has. Coveting is when you want something that someone else has. It could be anything. It doesn't belong to you. I want you to think about how bad the things are that transpire because of coveting. Just think, for example, about how many of the wars that have been fought throughout the history of mankind have been because of coveting. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, producing me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. You see, whenever sin springs to life, we die. There's nothing wrong with the law. But the law is powerless to save us because all it can do is it can expose our sinful nature. <clears throat> There are some techniques when it comes to medical professionals that what happens is that the, the technique that they're using actually exposes whatever's wrong in your body to allow the immune system to take care of it. And this is what the law is. It exposes the sin. When you know the law, you know your sinful nature. When you know the law, you know the problems with you in, the, in, in terms of the way you think. And the law is, is there to lead you to acknowledge your, your need for a savior. You see, even, even without the law, you need a savior. But without the law, you don't know that you need a savior. You think everything's fine. The law exposes your sinful desires. The law exposes your inner world. You know it's wrong, but you want to do it anyway. And why do you want to do it? Because it's nice. And that's why you desire to do what you know you're not allowed to do. And you know, sometimes what you're not allowed to do, you were fine with not doing it until you found out it was wrong. And then the moment you found out it was wrong, 
suddenly the sinful thing consumed your mind and that this is all you wanted to do. Now many people speak about the law as being evil. But the law is good and it shows that we are not. Romans 7 verse 12. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So I want you to listen to this. The law is holy. It's not just good, it's holy. And the commandment is holy. It's not just good, it's holy. And then he adds righteous. In other words, it makes us right with God and good. So the law is perfectly holy and the law is righteous and good. If we, if we were able to follow the law perfectly, we would be right with God. And the law is good. I mean, to say that the number one thing that Jesus said is that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love people as you love yourself, that's good. Nothing bad can ever come out of that. Not if you look at the Bible's definition of love. But when we study the law and we compare ourselves to it, we realize that we are not good. The law is the mirror that we look into and we see our real state before Almighty God. We see every single thought that we have being exposed. We see every, every single motive that we have being exposed. You know, the things that maybe the world will never even see, even that gets exposed by the law. And the law leads us to the place where we are desperate for a Savior. And the Savior is Jesus, who kept the law perfectly. You see, the person who saves us can only be someone who kept the law perfectly. He kept the law, and yet he died as a lawbreaker. And that's why his blood can atone for our sin. And that's why when we put our faith in him, his, his blood can wash our sin away. Because ever since Jesus died on the cross, the Father in heaven has been looking for the sins of people that he can use to justify the death of his son on the cross. Because there was no reason for him to die. When we're looking at this, what the Lord teaches us is that good intentions do not make us good people. You know, often when you look at life, we get upset if things go wrong because of decisions we've made or things we've done because we had good intentions. But the funny thing is when things go wrong because of what someone else did, then the good intentions don't matter. Because good intentions do not make us good people. In Romans 7 verse 13 to 15, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandments, sin might become at least sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So there we come, that thing we've been looking at now, we, we, we are sold as slaves to sin. And that's why we had to be purchased back. And the purchase price was the blood of Jesus. And then it said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. That's good intentions. If I know it's good, if I know it's the right thing to do, and, 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 I, and I want to do it, but I, I don't do it, what, what's the point? What's the use? But what I hate to do, I do. 
Now, I just want you to think, you know, many people say, no, but it's the thought that counts. It's the intention that counts. Well, you know, yesterday, um, old Calvin over there, his team, Manchester City, was playing the team that I really support, which is Watford. And Watford really wanted to win, guys. Everything in their, every five in their being wanted to win that match. They lost 3-1. Shut up. There's people cheering here. All right? Good intentions don't help. They had every intention to win that game. And they lost 3-1. Now we understand that in sport, but I want you to understand it's the same with sin. Okay, there's a, there's a quote I once saw that the roadway to hell is littered with good intentions. The saying goes that good intentions don't get us to heaven. So through the law, the sin becomes utterly sinful because now all of a sudden we know, listen, the good intentions don't help. We've actually got to keep the law. And the problem with us is that our, our flesh, in our flesh, we're not, we're not spiritual. The law is spiritual. And so our flesh cannot meet what the Spirit does because it's the flesh. In our flesh, we are sold as slaves to sin. And that is why we have good intentions, but we don't follow them through. It's because of our flesh. And then we end up doing the things we don't want to do. We desperately don't want to do them, but we end up doing them. And that just brings out a whole lot of guilt and condemnation onto us. And so here's the thing. You want to start overcoming sin in your life. You've got to realize that the law exists in the spiritual dimension and we've got to get in there. And the blood of Jesus gives us access to that spiritual dimension. The blood of Jesus gives us access to that spiritual power, the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. But we've got to learn to become spiritually minded and not fleshly minded. And, and, and when you become spiritually minded instead of being fleshly minded, what that means is you're going to see the world in an entirely different way because when you view the world as, a, as something that came out of the spiritual realm, then obviously you're going to go there to look at what's going on in the future. Now out of the spiritual realm, in spite of all of these things that the Lord teaches us, about who we are without Christ and who we are without the blood of Jesus. You need to understand that we are a part of the most important plan in the universe. God has put the most important plan of the universe on our shoulders. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 to 12, it says, this salvation, now we're talking about the salvation that comes from the blood of Jesus, which is what the law leads us to. The law leads us to the cross. The law leads us to Calvary. The law leads us to the blood of Jesus, to all of us sin being washed away. And it says, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. I want you to understand, some of these prophets that we see their names in the, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and all of these incredible prophets, you know what? They were prophesying something that was prepared for you. When they were living on this earth, they never had the salvation. This salvation had to come to them a number of hundreds of years after their death. 
You have it available for you right now. This thing is here for you right now. In verse 11 it says, They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory after, afterward. So they were wondering about something that you come and celebrate at a carol service. They were wondering about something that you come and celebrate over Easter. They were wondering when, when God was going to do it. And then it says in verse 12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves. Imagine being told the gospel and said, it's not for you, it's not for your time. Future generations are going to walk in the fruit of this prophecy. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Listen, I've told you this before, but the Bible declares the angels are watching the church to see what Jesus is doing on the earth. Some people are praying to angels. No, no, the angels are waiting for you to pray to God because then they're finding out what is the work of God and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to back right now on the earth. The angels are watching the church. There is no more important place. There is no more important organization. There is no more important group of people on the face of the planet than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because even the angels are looking at the church to see what Jesus is doing on the earth. Jesus speaks to the angels through the church. Can you grasp the magnitude of this passage? Can you grasp the enormity of what Peter is saying there? We see that Peter is writing to all believers to explain that the prophets and even the angels in heaven long to be part of the mission that God has entrusted to us as a church, which is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not good people going out telling other people how bad they are. The Great Commission is people that have been saved from their own badness going out and telling other people the good news. Hey, listen, you too can be saved from your own badness by the blood of Jesus. He became the curse for you on the cross. He was whipped. Everything that you should have gone through, he went through, and all of that stuff was poured onto him. What an awesome privilege. What an incredible privilege we have entrusted with the greatest news the world has ever received from the time that Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. And I always want you to remember something, that God has chosen you to preach the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has chosen you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. I don't care where you go. He has chosen you to preach the good news. There are people in your life that need to hear the good news. And if you don't give it to them, they have no hope. You're part of the plan that God has for the redemption of all of humanity. He didn't just save you. He made you a part of His one and only plan for all mankind to be redeemed. Every single one. I want you to remember this as we go into this Christmas time. I want you to remember this on the special offering Sunday. I want you to remember this in a few moments when we have communion together. But the correct way is to place yourself in the perfect purpose of God and to walk accordingly by applying the blood 
that was shed from the feet of Jesus when his feet were nailed to the cross. I want you to understand that when Jesus' feet were nailed to the cross, the enemy thought that he had destroyed the purposes of God forever. But you must always remember that God has chosen you to preach the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a part of this plan of, of redemption for all of humanity. I said it last week, I'm saying it again, feet relate to purpose because feet relate to where you go. You can't go anywhere without your feet. In Romans 10 verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The apostle Paul wrote this verse referring to all those who go out and preach the gospel and tell people the good news and tell people what Jesus has done in their own lives. There's nothing as powerful as your story about what Jesus has done in your life. People can come with all their theories about the, saying that, that you're a monkey. That previously, you know, from a few million years ago, whatever, you and the monkeys had the same common ancestors. They can come with all of these stories about atoms and all of that sort of stuff. They can come with some of the most mind-blowing philosophies known to ever have been spoken. But they've got nothing. <laughs> they've got nothing to say. When you speak your testimony and you're convicted that it's true. I know some of you have been thinking the ministry is not for you. But I invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to, to fill your heart and to reveal His purpose to you. You know, I want to tell you, you just look at the world today. People are in desperate need of this message. People are in desperate need of a message that transcends reality. I mean, look at Elon Musk. It's, it's something he's spoken of a lot is the concerns he has regarding AI. I mean, Elon Musk is, is, is the reason why he's doing SpaceX. You know what his motivation is? Because he reckons the world's going to be a place that's going to be uninhabitable soon. So he's trying to set up a colony on Mars because we've got to escape to somewhere. That's, actually, that's his reason for doing it. He needs a gospel. I mean, I'm, go set up a colony on Mars, no problem. I'm all for that stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that. I, I watch SpaceX videos often. But not for that reason. Not for that reason. Many people are in need and are waiting for you to bring them a, the gospel message of hope. And listen, doesn't matter how rich they are. Doesn't matter how much further you think they are in society. Doesn't matter how clever they seem to be in terms of how this world views cleverness God wants to use you and the apostle Paul actually said that sometimes he will use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise he wants to use you he wants to use you to take the message out of Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord I want you to think about that for a second. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the message. We've earned our wage death. That's why we get old. That's why our bodies are not going to die. But the free gift of God <coughs> wasn't free for Jesus. But he paid the full price, which means it's free for us if we'll give him our hearts. Believing this or disbelieving this is what separates us who are destined for heaven 
from us who are, who are destined for hell. You believe this to get into heaven. Romans 10, 8 and 9. But what does it say? The word is, is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And so today I want to really implore to you that your eternal destiny is at stake. And, and it really is at stake. I mean, just look at how the world has panicked since last, I think it's last week Friday. The first news I heard of Omicron was on last week Thursday, I think, from Botswana. By Friday, it's in South Africa and everyone's shutting down flights from South Africa. The world was in a panic. Everyone's panicking. Everyone's scared. Everyone's freaking out and going nuts. The world needs this message. You need this message. And I want you to realize today as you've heard this message that your eternal destiny is at stake. Based on what you do with the gospel, your eternal destiny is at stake. And I know that some people that are in the service, either here, one of the other sites, or at home, you're watching or you're listening via the audio. Maybe you're even listening in a taxi right now, something like that. But, but God's been speaking to you. Listen to me, Active Church. God has been speaking to you. And some of you are saying, no, wait. Yo, I need to think about this. Just give me some time to process this. And, and God is saying, no, 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 wait a second. Listen, I'm speaking to you now. And I've had to peel away layers of, of, of the enemy's work that, that confuses your mind so that you cannot understand the gospel. And, and this is the moment, this is the time that you need to get saved. This is the time when you need to give your heart to me. If, if, if I've gotten through to you, understand how much prayer has gone into you being able even to understand this message right now. If you don't receive me now, something will shut down. You, you, you won't have a better prayer time later. In fact, this, for some of you, this may be the last time you're ever going to hear God. Because if you don't hear it now, it will shut down and that curtain will never be removed again. And God is saying today is the day of your salvation. And, and, and maybe that's not the case for you. Maybe God's not saying that to you, but maybe He's asking you the question, are you right with me? If you were to die today, do you know that you'd end up with me in glory? If not, give your heart today. If you're sitting here thinking about something you did yesterday, such a big thing, a huge thing, you're, you desperately want to make sure that no one ever finds out. Just come to Jesus. Come to Him right now. Come to Him at this moment. His blood will wash your sin away. When you come to this altar, you lay everything down you lay your life down you take on the life of Jesus and when you come to this altar right now what you're saying to God you're saying Father this is the time I want to give everything to you right now I want to commit my life completely to you right now I don't want to wait until later because I don't know if I'll make it if I wait until later and I want to know from this moment forward that whatever goes on that I'm going to be okay because I'm going to be close to you. That even when I get to the time where I go through the valley of the shadow of death, when death comes knocking on my door, I want to be okay with it because I'll know that I'll be going through that door with you and that you will never leave me and you'll never forsake me. 
and that the entire price for my sin has been paid. That from this moment on, I'll have no outstanding balance with you. That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. And so right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask those of you And I'm going to ask those of you that the Lord's been speaking to to give your life to Jesus or to recommit your life to Jesus. And I'm going to ask right now that you raise your hand if you're at one of the sites, if you're here at one of the other sites. Just raise your hand right now. And we're going to pray with you. I see hands going up. Some more hands at the back. Right at the back. Is there anyone else? If you're at one of the sites, please, site leaders, make sure that you pick up those hands. If you are watching online or you're listening online and you're giving your life to Jesus, you need to let us know. You need to testify to this. Please send us an email to info at theactivechurch.org. That's info at theactivechurch.org. And tell us, I've given my life to Jesus or say I'm recommitting my life to Jesus today. One last time, is there anyone else? I just feel I need to ask this question. And right now you need to send this email. Right now you need to raise that hand. More hands have gone up. Amen. I'm going to ask us all now to, to pray. And I'm going to ask you to put your right hand on your heart. And as I always like to do at this time, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see mine lifted up on the cross for your sin. His blood being shed. And the arguments from your sin are laid at the foot of the cross. And the blood of Jesus is hitting those arguments. Every argument, every sin that the enemy has against you, it's being destroyed right now. And this work that Jesus did on the cross for you over 2,000 years ago. He did it for all time. And it's happening right now. The arguments are being destroyed. They're being destroyed at the cross of Calvary. And the Bible declares that this Jesus that you're looking at, that was dying for you over 2,000 years ago on the cross, He's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And His work stands once and for all. He is a sacrifice that takes away all sin at all time. In the spiritual realm, all sin was cancelled. And the blood that he shed was the blood that paid the price. He paid the price for all of our sin. And by our faith in him right now, he will wash our sins away. Just believe it. Just see it being washed away. And now we're praying together. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything that I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. And I know that it was the price you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that the blood of your wounded body wash me of all my rebellion and all my sin. Set me free from any sickness and any pain. Lord, I accept that my debt has been paid. There is no outstanding balance. 
You paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary. I accept that by your blood I'm justified. And you see me as I'd never sinned. And by your blood I'm sanctified. And you have chosen me to serve you. And I'm willing to serve you. Today, Lord, I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
trust, not what we see, the resurrection. 